Hello and welcome to the UConn Hockey Hub Podcast, the only podcast that covers UConn men's hockey. Thanks for listening. I'm Daniel Connolly. Before we get into the show, you can listen to this podcast every single week by going to the UConn Hockey Hub on Patreon by subscribing. You can get this podcast along with a weekly newsletter, previews for every game, a film room breakdown, breaking news alerts in your email, and much, much more. If you're a UConn hockey fan, you'll want to join the Hockey Hub for all the best coverage of the Ice Bus in what has been their best season in program history up to this point. With that out of the way, let's get into the show. Well, after a few weeks of having pretty even schedules where UConn only played games on weekend, we're back to the wacky Tuesday games. UConn splits its last two games over the quote-unquote weekend. They beat Northeastern on Friday, number 14 Northeastern on Friday, 4-1. to one, And then they lose to unranked UMass Lowell on Tuesday, 3-2 to two, in overtime. They didn't play bad in either games. I mean, they played very well on Friday night. It was one of their better performances of the season, and they completely dominated Northeastern on the road, too, for pretty much the entire game. And I think just that's a great sign for this program that I know we talked about it on last week's episode, but they've proven that they can hang with those top teams like BC. And then they've proven that they can beat the bad teams like UNH and Merrimack. And they hadn't really shown what they were made of for those in-between teams, the Northeasterns who were 14 and then UMass Lowell and Providence for at least their first test, they showed very, very well. They dominated the face-off circle. They had long stretches of play where they held it in Northeastern zone. They played very smart hockey with Northeastern having the second best power play in the country. They only got really two consequential penalties because one of them came with 30 seconds left and One of those two penalties came with about 30 seconds left in the period, the second period, which always screws up a power play because it doesn't let you just sit in a zone for two minutes. You have to win two face-offs at the minimum to get the puck. And it really kind of makes it so it's only a 30 second power play and a minute 30 power play, which is significantly different than a full two minute power play. So there was one power play that UConn had that would have been a two minute for the full game. And that ended up being the only goal that Merrimack scored. So UConn defended very well, their offense was clicking well, and it was just a very, very convincing win for the Huskies. Yeah, I mean, I think Northeastern, you think about that's a team that has always given UConn a lot of problems, really no matter what. Like you said, these middle-tier teams, those are where, you know, the difference, the margin of UConn's performance for the season will be determined, right? Like, to some extent, there's only so much you can expect to get when you're playing against the best teams, the BC, UMass, um, you know, what have you, you're not, you're not going to expect UConn to overcome, you know, everything they need to do to, to outperform them. But against these other teams, that's where you can really make bread. Um, especially after we've been able to confirm that they can beat, beat the, the bad teams, the teams that they should be beating. So, um, I mean, four out of six points, that's, that's a really great weekend. Obviously, clearly UConn is, is a good team. And I mean, uh, again, just as we discussed, still upside. So um, a lot to be pleased with, I think, about their their performance over these past two games. Again. 
Right. Well, and as we were talking about after the BC weekend, we were thrilled that they just came away with two out of the six points in that, which just kind of shows where the expectation level was. I remember saying before that series that they could get swept, take zero points, and you'd still be happy if they played well, and they played very, very well. So I think just the important thing is there really hasn't been any sizable dip. There's been, especially since the calendar turned to 2021, no performance that you can look at and go, wow, they just didn't show up tonight. They were completely outplayed for 60 minutes, had no business being on the ice with this team, just kind of embarrassed the UConn jersey, which had been the case numerous times over every single season in hockey East and it's never been there and it's never even been particularly close like to move on to the UMass Lowell game they had a very poor first period yet they only come out of that period one nothing they had chances to even tie the game and then the second and third period they played very very well and the difference is just when you come out slow and kind of flat against a team like UMass Lowell which is already very very difficult to play against and is even if both teams play 60 minutes of great hockey, it's going to come down to one play at the end. So when you put yourself behind the eight ball, it becomes that much harder to win. And UConn still fought back. They went down by a goal three times and they fought back every single time. And I think the biggest difference in that game was the second period where UConn really dominated. I mean, their first goal, they had the puck in UMass Lowell's zone for minutes and minutes. I think it was like two minutes at one stretch. They did that like two or three times in that period where UMass Lowell not only couldn't get the puck out, they couldn't even get any of their skaters off the ice, whereas UConn had such control that they were just sliding players in and out on the fly. So it was pretty much some of those stretches were as dominant as we've ever seen UConn play against a really good UMass Lowell team too. So they didn't get the win in that one, but they still get a point out of it. I don't think you can really be too upset with a overtime loss, especially with how weird the overtime rules are this year. I mean, it's basically a coin flip on who wins an overtime in three on three. So having won three games in a row, having beaten some good teams in the last few weeks, Losses are going to come. UConn's not going to be perfect for 60 minutes, but they did what they needed to do to at least be in the game. And then, as we always talk about with Lowell, the bounce just didn't go their way, just like the bounce didn't go their way against them earlier this season in the 2-1 loss. So obviously you want the win, but all things considered, it was it still wasn't that bad of a performance from UConn. Yeah, I mean, they've had a few bad periods here and there, it seems. But overall, their consistency, I think, has been really impressive, really a notable aspect of this team that differentiates them from previous Husky teams and speaks to, again, their potential and, and what, what has been built. They also seem like, to me, please, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like in terms of strengths, it's, it's a relatively balanced team, like, you know, great goaltending, the offense can be a threat, the defense can be stout when it needs to be. It seems like, you know, it's just pretty balanced across those. And it's not like ever too dependent on any one person or unit necessarily. Right. I mean, Tomasz Womaszka has been just unbelievable all season long. I think for my money, he's as good a hockey East goaltender as there is outside of Spencer Knight because Spencer Knight's just in a class of his own, but he's right there in that second tier. And then defensively, yeah, they have been pretty stout defensively. They haven't gotten shredded in any games, at least not five on five. The games where they've given up a lot of goals, it's usually been they've gotten a ton of penalties and their penalty kills let them down. But when you're keeping teams 
under that three goal mark for the, for the most part, you can't really be that upset with your defense. And then the offense ever since Vlad first off and Jan Kuznetsov came back for that second series against UNH has been just unbelievable. They're first in hockey East in or second in hockey East in shots on goal per game for a while. I, I don't, I haven't looked since the low game, but they were the number one offense in the country since that second UNH series. So they had been really, really good. The power play had been white hot. And then you just kind of break down who they have in the roster individually. And they have the big grinder types like Yakum Kondalik, Kale Howarth, Mark Gatcomb, and Nick Capone. And then you've got the smaller, quicker guys like Johnny Evans, Hudson Shandor, Brian Regali. You've got your speedsters like Vlad Firstov and Ryan Torberg, the, also the very technical, skilled guys. And then on defense, you have a nice mix of offensive guys like Jan Kuznetsov, Carter Berger, and... Jake Flynn. And then you've also got some more defense first defensemen in Adam Karashek, Harrison Reese, Roman Canal when he's healthy and Ryan Wheeler. So yeah, I think they have a very nice balance of not only offense, defense, and goaltending is all really good, but they also just have a very nice mix of players where they go four lines deep at the forward position and each player brings a different element. So it's not like one line is just rolling people over and one line is the speed line and one line is the skills line. It's a nice mix and balance. And that really makes teams have to defend for all 60 minutes instead of being able to take a playoff on a fourth line that scored two goals all season. Yeah. And then again, another, another good thing for a team to have, right. Is to not be overly reliant on anything um, and it means you can be uh, uh, multifaceted as a threat uh, when you're when you're matching up against other teams. Looking back on the weekend, just you know, what, what were some individual performances that stood out to you? I think first we have to talk about Tomasz Vumashkin goal against Lowell, just because I thought that was his best performance of the season. Because UConn obviously didn't play well, and he took a lot of shots. He was asked to keep UConn in the game at times. And that was one of my, I guess, criticisms of him at the beginning of the season was he's always been a really good goaltender for UConn. I don't know if he can win a game for UConn and obviously UConn didn't win, but I don't think that was anywhere near his fault because the first two goals took a weird deflection. Like the first goal went off a skate in front of the ice or in front of his net and went to the goal. The third goal went off Hudson Shandor's stick as he tried to block it and took a deflection and then the third goal was a two on one. So there's only so much he can do on those plays, but he was really, really good. And Lowell just made life hard for him. They got a lot of bodies in front. He had to make a lot of very awkward saves and was forced out of position a few times. And yet he didn't give up any saves. And he made one just incredible save where he got his arm across to stop what seemed like an open net. So he was really, really phenomenal against Lowell. And he's just been very, very good all season long, as I mentioned earlier. And then on Friday for Friday's game against Northeastern, Artem Schlein, a guy we've talked about a lot, who has played very well this season as a freshman and had a point streak going into that game of just assists, but he hadn't found his first goal. And he finally notched that first one against Northeastern. Vlad sent a perfect pass into the offensive zone, past the blue line. He had a breakaway and beat the goaltender five holes. So I think it's very, very good to see him finally get on that score sheet because he's just played so well and the results necessarily haven't come for him. And he said after the game that it is tough when you come from either juniors or in his case, a prep school and you score 
like I think he had 60 goals over his last two years when you score so much and are relied on so much to score it's hard for them to learn that playing well and scoring don't necessarily go hand in hand. And he admitted that was tough for him to learn at first. So I really feel like now that he's finally gotten that monkey off his back and he has the first one that it's really going to start to come and we're going to see him score a lot more goals going forward. So he also deserves a mention. And then Adam Karashek, who's been a really good defenseman for UConn all season long, but I think UConn's turnaround on Tuesday against Lowell was very much sparked by him. He, started hitting he started just playing more aggressive and that kind of seemed to spark UConn all around and he missed some time with a kind of weird injury but Cavs said he's fine he just got the wind knocked out of him or something so those players all stood out I mean it's also I there's very rarely ever a game where I'm watching them and I go wow this guy shouldn't be on the ice like we've seen it in the past where maybe they're a little thin or they've had some injuries and have some depth issues and you're watching and it's like, okay, this guy should not be playing. He's clearly not at that level, but when they're fully healthy and have a full roster, like they have right now, I really think every single player is very, very solid and could play for anyone in hockey East. Nice. Except maybe BC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly they're doing a lot of things right. They were finally able to, you know, speaking of breakthroughs, get into the top 20 rankings, which huge moment for the program. You can't, can't understate that enough. Even if it is, even if it turns out to only be for one week, <clears throat> it's, it's still just another marker of, of success for them. Uh, and then, you know, what do you think? Is it, is, what is the likelihood, you know, since they did lose to UMass Lowell, they hopped into the rankings, lost a game. What What do you think the prognosis is for them in the next time the rankings come out? Well, first, I just think it is great that they are finally ranked because it's just, it doesn't mean anything and it's not helping them win games, but it's just national recognition for a program that very, very clearly has been on the rise these last three years and really over the last eight years that Mike Cavanaugh has been here. So it's good to see that they're finally breaking through to that upper tier of college hockey, even if they still have a lot more work to do. So it's tough to say because we obviously didn't have a great feel for what the voters were going to do getting them in the top 20, because we thought that the sweep over the, the dominating sweep over Merrimack might push them in and they only gained five votes, but they win one game against Northeastern albeit in very convincing fashion and that catapults them in. So they're only at number 20 in the USH USCHO poll, which is usually the main poll used, but they're also 15 in the USA today, USA hockey poll. I feel like they'd have to have a pretty good weekend. They'd have to play very, very well in both games. They definitely need at least one win. I think one win on the road would really help. And at the very least they can't lose in regulation on on Saturday or, or in either game for the, for that matter. And if they do lose a game, they might need help from someone else. Like maybe Robert Morris or AIC has a bad weekend and drops out, or maybe whoever's receiving votes behind them. It's just tough when you're 
in that position at number 20 and you don't immediately win your next game. And then you have two more ranked games coming up. So I think, I think it's very possible they do stay in if they play well and maybe get four or five, six, four or five points on the weekend, but there's absolutely no way they'll fall out if they sweep Providence, at least in my opinion, this weekend. Yeah. I mean, the, the rankings again, like you said, it's not, it's not going to affect whether the team wins or loses on a, on a given weekend, but still something to watch for sure. We've also got uh, an update from hockey East in terms of the tournament and um, in terms of the tournament structure, pretty big one, I think. And then also how the standings will be determined. I guess we got kind of the first public version of the rankings. Is that right? Right. So this was something we brought up a few weeks ago that was reported by College Hockey News that Hockey East was going to, instead of using total points or percentage of points, they were going to use some sort of metric like RPI or Cratch. What they ended up doing is they have their own metric, which is Hockey East Power Index from everything that I've read. It's more or less RPI, pairwise, those type of things where it basically accounts for wins, losses, who you won, who you beat, who you lost to, where you beat them, where you lost to them, and strength of schedule, all those sorts of things, and then spits out a number. So in these new rankings, UConn comes in at number four. BC, no surprise, is number one, though BU is right on their heels, right behind them. UMass is number three, obviously UConn four. Providence, who UConn's playing this weekend, is number five. Northeastern, who UConn just beat, is six. Lowell, who they just lost to is seven. And then, then the bottom four main UNH Merrimack Vermont pretty much as expected. So it makes sense just because, I mean, UConn's played BC four times this season and yet they haven't played a single game against Maine who's in eighth or Vermont who's in 11th. So those would be weekends that, especially with the way the team's playing, they would be at least I th- I'd say five point weekends, if not six point weekends. So it, it makes sense that there's more of a weight to these games that UConn's not going to be punished for playing games, so many games against top teams. And that was something that I had someone in the program complain to me about when they announced that every single game was going to count to Hockey East. They were saying, yeah, we're going to get screwed because we're going to play BU, BC, and UMass 15 times where we're not going to play a single game against Maine or UVM, but UNH is going to play those teams eight times and we're going to be at the same number of points. But it's not going to matter because of the strength of schedule. So it is good that it's a little more weighted now, even though Kev did mention today, the percentage of points earned and these hockey East power index rankings are more and less, more or less the same thing. There's not a whole lot of variation with it, but I think it is just a better overall system to do things, especially with how bizarre this year is. And then that'll be used to determine the seeds for the hockey East tournament, which as we've already said, is going to have every team that's eligible but the big news this week was that it's going to be a single elimination tournament. So before only the semifinals and finals were single elimination and everything before that was best of three series. So single elimination makes a lot more sense because teams maybe except Maine and Vermont don't have to stay overnight anywhere. They can drive to and from wherever they're playing the day of the game, which is a big boost for them and also just keeps them safer for COVID reasons And it's also something Mike Cavanaugh has pushed for a while. He wanted to do it from a financial perspective and just a way to drum up excitement because he mentioned that first game of a three game series never draws well because it, 
it's not that it doesn't mean anything, but nothing's going to happen in that game that defines the season. So having single elimination, this game is do or die on the season definitely brings a lot more excitement. We'll see if it continues going on from here, but the important thing is the top five teams in hockey East finish with a buy into the quarterfinals and the top four teams have home ice advantage in those quarterfinals. So it's very important to be in the top five at the very least, but I think it's even more important for UConn to get in to the top four, just partially for home ice advantage, but also just for status. I mean, they were so close last year. And if you can break into the top four, that's just says a lot about what kind of team you are. Of course. Yeah. So we'll be keeping an eye on those, those rankings. Um, good to see that they're, they're the strength of schedule component will be factored in there. What do you think this means though, for the rest of the schedule going forward? Obviously this weekend they're playing Providence college again, a decently, you know, again, a decent team. Do you think over the balance of the, of the year of the regular season schedule, they're going to try to weigh the schedule more equally, or um, do you think something else will guide kind of how they make the schedule uh, as they announce them week by week in order to try to even it out? Oh, that's a tough one. I have had trouble getting into the mind of hockey East this season. The tough thing is that if you ignore this Providence weekend after Providence, they have three weekends left of the regular season which pretty much means they're going to have six games the rest of the year or thereabouts. Maybe they add play three games in one week, but it's a safe bet that they probably play six games the rest of the way. And they haven't played BU Maine or Vermont at all this season. The issue with that is those teams haven't played many teams this season. All of them have had various COVID issues. They've all played fewer than 10 games. So I think it's going to be tough for hockey East to schedule perfectly. So UConn plays every team that they're supposed to. I still have to think from what we've seen these last two weekends that they're going to try and get UConn someone they haven't played before. Maybe they end up with a series against Northeastern because they've only played them once, but their last four games are going to be after this weekend are going to be Northeastern who they hadn't played yet. Lowell who they had only played once. So they completed the series against Lowell and then Providence who they've played once before, but now they're going to, definitively have a series completed here. So I'd have to imagine they probably try and line something up like that for UConn. And maybe it ends up with another Saturday, Tuesday, or Friday, Tuesday type schedule where you play two different teams instead of one weekend with the same teams. But it's just hard because you're trying to get every team to play as many games as you want. But I can't imagine UConn would play someone like UNH, BC, or UMass again, unless everyone else falls out of hockey East and those are the only teams left just because of how frequently they've, they've played them. So aside from those three, I don't think anything's off the table, but I feel like hockey East is going to do their best to at least maybe get UConn one game against each of those opponents. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my thinking, I mean, of course we have no idea what the league is going to do, but even if you're accounting for strength of schedule, there still is just a matter of, you know, playing those teams, you're going to get more, you know, you get more out of it, right? You even get the morale boost or whatever, whatever that may come from it. So there's more to it than just, I think, regulating on the possible strength of schedule implications and, you know, how specifically maybe this UConn team might benefit from at least some part of the schedule before the postseason, offering them some sort of respite. Again, of course, you have to play hard. You have to win those, those games, but I'm optimistic we see at least uh, somewhat 
easier path for UConn across the rest of the week, uh, across the rest of the season. But to talk about this weekend, how do you feel about this this matchup with PC? Um, and you know, what do you think success looks like for the Huskies on the weekend? Well, I've said all season that Providence has just really not impressed me at all this season. They've been ranked. They're still ranked. Just nothing that they've, I think maybe I'm still just biased that they lost 12, nothing to BC in their opening series. They just don't really seem to have any huge strengths on this team. I mean, Jackson Stauber has been very good in goal, but he also hasn't gotten a ton of shots. So I feel like maybe that drives his numbers down. Their offense isn't that great. They have a good defense, but it's not outstanding. So I saw a tweet this weekend that Providence just played poorly. Like they didn't even show up for their game against Merrimack. So there's also that UConn won two, nothing earlier in the season. It was an ugly game. I don't think two, nothing was really a fair scoreline for Providence, but at the same time, that was before UConn got Vlad and Jan back. They also didn't have Ryan Twerberg on the team yet. At the same time, Providence didn't have a couple players due to world juniors or their head coach, which makes a pretty big difference, but Still, I just haven't been impressed by Providence, and maybe they'll change my mind this weekend, but just UConn has really exceeded my expectations every time they've taken the ice for the most part, and I feel like UConn's going to jump on an underwhelming Providence team. Or I don't think a sweep is likely, but I think they very easy. the likelihood that they sweep Providence is much, much higher than they get swept by Providence, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like based on based on your assessment of them, it would be you know, at least, at least four or five out of six uh, points on the weekend. And again, just the way UConn's been playing for starting to get less than that, that would be in the, in the realm of a disappointing weekend. It sounds like. Maybe. I mean, I think it depends on how Providence plays. Like if Providence plays like the way that I think they do and aren't really that great of a team and UConn gets like three out of six points, then yeah, I think that would be a disappointing weekend. But if they're maybe a better team than I'm giving them credit for and they play with UConn, then if it's two even games and UConn plays well and only ends up with three points or two points or four points or something like that, I think it would be fair. It's again, as I've said a million times this season, it's so tough to judge how good teams are. Even UConn, I still don't really feel like I have a great grasp of how good UConn is. Even though I do think UConn is very, very good, it's still just tough to tell. So I think UConn definitely should be the better team in this series, but I think it remains to be seen how much daylight is between the two of them. Yep. And I mean, again, as I think, as we've discussed before, just, you know, look, there's a lot on the line. So, so people should be watching. Um, If UConn, UConn has, you know, being a top 20 team in the balance here, we know that that PC is right below them in the hockey East power index. So, you know, there's a, there's quite a bit on the line this weekend. And that's, that's to me what it's all about is just having great, interesting, relevant games late in the season. So that's, that's great for them. Right. I mean, there isn't much left in the regular season. And last year it came down to that away game at UMass Lowell that decided whether or not they got home ice. I don't think it's probably going to come down to that this weekend. Also, it's so much harder to tell. Like you can't just look and say, okay, well they get two points here. They're up to fourth. And if they don't, they're they're They stay in fifth. And I mean, I'm not a math person if anyone knows me at all. So I'm not even remotely sure how a win or a loss might affect these standings. But I think if UConn ends up with home ice advantage in the playoffs, they finish in that top four. That means they probably 
took five out of six, six out of six points from this weekend. This is probably going to be the weekend that very strongly influences what side of that line they finish on, whether they finish in fourth or fifth and maybe even six, if they really come apart at the seams through the last few weekends, or if that even pushes them up to two or three or something like that. So I think this is a very, very crucial weekend and is going to be something that we look back as a turning point in the season one way or another. If you want to watch these games this weekend, both of them are going to be on TV. So Friday is going to be a 4.30 puck drop at Schneider Arena on Nesson Plus. And then Saturday is also going to be on TV, which is just wonderful to hear because it's going to be on the CW20 and those games are so much better produced at Frida's Ice Forum than the normal sports live stream. So that'll be a 4 p.m. puck drop, both of those on TV. So it should be a very, very exciting weekend to watch. Other than that, that's going to do it for this episode of the Yukon Hockey Hub podcast. Thanks for listening.